Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this very special episode of Gym Class All-Stars. Happy New Year, everyone. We finally made it through 2020. We are in 2021. And wow, even two days in, we got a lot of sports to cover. Robbie, before we get into the college football playoffs, which I know we're all itching to talk about, we got to talk about Howard. Howard? Howard D's nuts. Ha! We're off to a great start, boys. That's why I wanted to lead in. You know, Woo! I think I'm retiring. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. <laughs> no, please come back. I need you. Damn straight, you need me. Well, that is how we decided to start 2021. <laughs> so hopefully, a more enjoyable year than last year is what you're trying to do here. Speaking of, you mentioned college football though. Did, uh, did something happen in college football over the weekend? Yeah, we saw the current narrative that Notre Dame cannot play in any substantial bowl games. They're now 0-7 in the past like 25 years. They got their brakes blown off by Bama, but somehow managed to cover. So if you are degenerate who bet Notre Dame plus 18, congratulations, you covered because they lost by 17. That game was pretty much expected. We all sort of knew that Bama's good and Notre Dame is eh. But on the flip side, we got the Sugar Bowl, Ohio State, Clemson. A lot of drama leading up to this game. Dabo Sweeney calling Ohio State 11th in the country, basically implying that they are not deserving of being in that spot. But lo and behold, Ohio State showed up and torched the Clemson defense. And wow, I can't explain the euphoria I was feeling watching Justin Fields just torched Clemson for everything they're worth. And it looked like Davos Sweeney got punched in the mouth. And that gives me great happiness. I completely agree. I am usually not one to revel in the success of Ohio State. But, uh, man, even someone as biased as me knows that they were better than the 11th team in the nation. And to be the team going up against them and essentially, you know, pulling a juju and like dancing on their logo type slander types talk from their head coach. And then they get beat that bad by the team that you underrated so heavily. That doesn't look good, especially when your job is like recruiting and, and, you know, prospecting young talent. And he didn't even know what a team was. He didn't didn't even know what they were about. They beat them by 21 points, 49 to 28. Uh, Not a lick of defense played in this though. Almost 800 combined passing yards, But Ohio State is already the severe underdog against Alabama. Is this just going to keep rolling to their advantage? That's a little tough because I do tend to believe Alabama is the best team in the country. They have two Heisman candidates for a reason, and both of them, in my opinion, are the front runners in it. It's going to come down to who can play defense, and I think Alabama's defense is going to be better. But if you keep it in a shootout, maybe there's a chance that Justin Fields can – throw his way into a win. And that's, what's intriguing. Yeah. Justin Fields, 385 passing yards, six touchdowns against the former Heisman recipient, Justin Fields. Is he kind of encroaching on Trevor Lawrence, maybe as a consideration for that top pick in this year's draft? Probably not unless he were to win the championship. I mean, you know, it's a 50, 50 shot, obviously, but I don't think so. I think Trevor Lawrence, you know, for his performance throughout the past three years of college, he has been so dominant. I mean, he has a national championship himself. You really can't. And he's like this, you know, the prototypical 
NFL caliber quarterback where he looked great in college. He's 6'5", big dude, can run, mobile, can throw the ball, plays in sort of a developed type of NFL-style offense in Clemson. You got to go with Trevor Lawrence if you're the Jags, I guess, unless you really don't want a quarterback. But, you know, Justin Fields is kind of like that, like kind of like last year with Burrow and Tua. Burrow wins the national championship, looks great, like kind of went on that run and got hot. Some people are saying two is obviously the better quarterback. I mean, granted, I think Burrow's been better as of now, and you know, people can debate me all they want about that. But before Burrow got injured, he was looking at rookie of the year potentially. Herbert's got it now. But it becomes kind of one of those things the media is going to talk about and hype up. But I still think Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Ohio State has this kind of pattern where no matter who's under center for them going into the postseason, they perform well, whether it's T, uh, JT Barrett, Dwayne Haskins, uh, Cordero Jones, and now Justin Fields, all these guys, you know, they, they showed up when they needed to. I think it is more of a test, a testament to the program than this, to the players, Justin Fields, a great player. Don't get me wrong, but you know, Trevor Lawrence has been the consensus number one overall pick all year. You don't just change that because of two or three hot games from the next best quarterback. And I don't think he looked like Trevor Lawrence was definitely the inferior quarterback last night, but I don't think he looked bad. I think he just had no time to throw the ball. Yeah, I mean, and he still threw for 400 yards. Exactly. Now, going off that, like Ohio State, they still have another game left, but Clemson, is this the moment we've all been waiting for? I know we all hate Alabama, but like Clemson has kind of come up and been that sort of that just juggernaut of a team that we all come to hate. Is this the end of the line for Clemson? Like, are they going to have continued success? I know they have the the backup quarterback, who uh, I'm blanking on his name right now, played against Notre Dame and did pretty well. But you're losing Trevor Lawrence. You're losing their running back. There's a few other guys they're losing. Is Clemson going to be, like, still in the picture for the college football playoffs next year? This may be the optimist in me, but I think this is the beginning of the end for Clemson. Um, they have never – dominated quite like Alabama or Ohio state has in the terms of always being a top five team. It's more so been a lot of recent success and to your, you know, to their credit, they do have that good backup quarterback in, in the wings and their recruiting is still going to be great, but I, I don't want to like overstate this whole Dabo Sweeney ranking Ohio state at 11 thing. Like I've mentioned this with John Calipari before, like college coaches, like a large portion of their job is identifying top tier talent. I don't know if this was him trying to hype up his team saying that the other team they were playing is worse or trying to put the other team down for whatever reason, but this was like just a large mistake. And if I'm somebody who's being recruited by Clemson, I'm thinking about how maybe Dabo Sweeney just had a good system. And now when you're seeing him having to make more of these tough decisions, he doesn't actually know everything. And, and if I'm getting recruited by other top tier schools, Maybe Clemson now falls a little bit. And I think we're going to start seeing that trend over the next few years. I, I think they'll still be in the running for the playoff next year, but maybe as a lower seed. I tend to believe Clemson is going to win the ACC again next year. I don't think there's any real team that can test them unless Notre Dame wants to play in the ACC again. I tend to believe they'll also be independent. And even then, it's probably a coin flip. But I just I can't see them competing with all those top-tier teams. And like you said – Maybe they'll be a four seed in the playoffs, but are they going to be able to compete with Alabama or Ohio State again, potentially, or maybe even a third team that's going to pop up there? And I think I agree with you. I think the answer is no. I think this is the beginning of the end for Clemson in the sense that they're going to go on a slow decline. Like they'll still be good, 
And if you're go to Clemson or Clemson fan, there's no reason to be worried. Like you're not going to be the bottom of the ACC, but we kind of saw with Florida state when Jameis Winston left, like they've, they've plummeted. They've been pretty much irrelevant years of turmoil, bad players, et cetera, like things like that. And it's going to kind of, I think going to be a slow decline for them. And I'm all here for it. I not a fan of Clemson. I don't like Davo Sweeney and I'm very much looking forward to seeing them kind of fall from grace. You don't like Clemson. You uh, happen to know anybody that goes to Clemson? Are you referencing a, a lady by chance? I might be. She uh, may turned around and copied your uh, test one time in high school. That's so toxic. History class. That's, we're off to such a bad start. Don't bring up my past love. Come on. That's so toxic. But you, you know, looking from afar in her history class, that there was reason to believe she was into me. No, no, it was like, guys, you know, anybody listening, it was all this, it showed all the signs, you know, it was a blossoming relationship. We were all for it. Um, I think everybody was on the same page except for Alex and the girl, but <laughs> we had our fun. We had our fun. And I just, I'm, I'm sitting here taking this test. We have this substitute teacher and, you know, Alex is sitting probably like two or three rows to my right. And the girl in question here is sitting directly in front of him. And again, we have this substitute teacher who's just not paying attention. And so this girl just turns around, full on puts her paper on Alex's desk, copies. I couldn't even tell you how many answers. And then just turns back around like nothing happened. I thought that was the moment he had his in. I was wrong, unfortunately. And uh, that's all we have for you today here. Folks. No, well, not yeah, Not to get too far off topic, but like when she wrote her number with a smiley face on my paper, I thought I was in there and then I was uh, blindsided by the fact she had a, a boyfriend for like a month and I was, I was hurt. It was, it would have been the perfect story of the nerd finally getting the popular girl, but alas, I was wrong. And you can probably hear the hurt in my voice, which is even funnier. Cause I'm like, I'm like, I have all these repressed memories I'm trying to bring back, but um, we're here. We're good. Uh, she's wherever. And I'm uh, clearly an, elite podcaster now so i guess things and, uh, no hard feeling towards clemson right no a lot of hard feelings toward clemson i'm very spiteful as an individual <laughs> <laughs> all right keeping on the trend of uh sports here from now on yep. uh, one other bowl game we didn't want to talk about because uh, cincinnati had a perfect bid going they were undefeated up until this point unfortunately last second field goal from georgia changed that forever they lost by three points their perfect season tarnished um was this maybe a little resurgence for the Cincinnati football program, or do you think this is more of a one-and-done type year for them? I don't know. They, they have not had the best, uh, you know, line of luck in terms of football. Sure. I, I think it's a resurgence to a degree. Like, I think they're going to be very competitive in the AAC. But I don't know, like, if they're going to be undefeated. Like, they may be, like, a one, two-loss team. Obviously, this is their best chance to get in the college football playoff the way the season broke down with, you know, teams playing a weird number of games, all that. But even then, it would have been tough to put them in the college football playoff. And, you know, it, it, they're always one of those teams who brings up the idea of maybe you should expand the playoffs. You should add more teams. You should have an at-large bid from, you know, a non-Power 5 conference. But not to be pessimistic, but we watched undefeated non-Power 5 team lose to an SEC team again. And this narrative always happens unless you're UCF a few years ago. Like, I hate to be just negative, but this there's a reason why those Power 5 teams 
get some respect on their names because they win and they win big games. Yeah. And yesterday was no different. Like since he put up a good fight, but it just wasn't enough. Yeah. There's a, like, it's really hard to tell the difference between like, you know, an undefeated you know smaller conference team versus a power five conference who's, you know, they've lost one or two games, but they're good losses. That degree of difficulty can, can seem so slim, but then you match those teams up together and it's like, Whoa, this was nothing I would have ever expected. Well, for the sake of our good friend, Ed Jennings, who is a university of Cincy grad, we hope since he has continued success a lot more than Clemson for reasons other than personal, yep. uh, but keep professional here. Of course. Uh, that's about all we have for college football. Those are the big games. Obviously there's a ton of different bowl games, but honestly, there's a lot of bowl games. We just don't care about yeah, there's there's a lot. And, you know, college football was this whole big mess anyway. I, I think just keeping to the college football playoff and any exciting news otherwise from the bowl games is what we're going to stick to here. Um, but one of our uh, marquee sports we like to cover here, the NBA, as we stated in our last episode, is now back. Season has begun. Most teams have played somewhere around four to five games at this point. We're going to start with the team currently sitting at the top of not just the Western Conference standings, but has actually the best record in the entire NBA, and that is the new-look Phoenix Suns, adding guys like Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, brought Frank Kaminsky back, and now 5-1 and one to start the year, looking hot. What do you like about this Phoenix team to start the year? You know, I was watching them, and I'm not, like, they're winning games, and, you know, 5-1 and one is nothing to, you know, speak ill about, but I'm not incredibly impressed with them. I'm impressed, I'm impressed with their depth. Like Sarge, Jake Crowder, they have all these really cool pieces and a lot of cool talent. But Chris Paul, up until last night where he hit a very clutch shot to kind of win the game against the Nuggets, and Devin Booker really haven't done a whole lot. And I, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Obviously, there's an impact on the court. There are threats. They can do a lot. But they haven't been like producing like super high numbers. Like Devin Booker is a kid who scored 70 points a few years ago. I mean, he like one of the games he had eight points. Yeah, but they're winning games, so I can't fault them. I think Monty Williams kind of is a good coach for the Suns. I think he's doing a lot of good for Phoenix, and I don't think they care. I honestly like they Devin Booker and Chris Paul seem like the guys who give more of a shit about wins rather than all star appearances. So good on yeah, them. I completely agree, and also just. I don't know. I've looked at this Phoenix team the last couple of years, you know, once they've, they've gotten Aiton and Booker start building around and, and obviously veteran leadership was what they needed and, and few fit that bill better than Chris Paul does. Chris Paul, one of the older players in the league now, but still playing at all-star caliber levels. He was an all-star just last season. He really brings a maturity and an understanding of the game that these guys just weren't going to get from any general veterans that they were going to be able to play with, like a Ricky Rubio or an Aaron Baines. You know, those are guys who have been here for a long time, but they haven't had the, the wide ranging success that Chris Paul has. Chris Paul comes in and he's going to be able to teach Devin Booker anything Devin Booker needs to know about being a guard in the NBA. He's going to teach DeAndre Ayton exactly what a guard needs out of a big man, of a superstar big man, because Chris Paul's gotten to play with some of those in the past, Blake Griffin, David West, just to name a few. Chris Paul, in my opinion, was one of the most perfect fits for this Phoenix Suns team. I don't know how, how high the ceiling is quite yet on this team, but the brand of basketball they're playing is very solid, is very fluid, and they make very few mistakes. Other than, you know, Devin Booker having an eight-point game isn't great, but I don't necessarily know if that's a mistake as much as just a cold night. Well, not even that. I mean, they blew out the Pelicans by at least 20, and it was like – 
the Pelicans were by no means even close to a match to the Suns. Like Devin Booker just happened to score eight in that game. It's like they have so much talent around them. Like DeAndre Ayton has kind of come into his own a bit. Mikhail Bridges is another one. Jay Crowder, Kam- Kaminsky's there. Um, you got Sarich, who looks good. And I love my big Dario. I miss him in Philly. But like they have a lot of really great talent around them. I think. I agree. Sorry, I think Chris Paul like elevates that to a degree. Mm-hmm. And so does uh, Booker. Yeah, and and I think Chris Paul is going to elevate Devin Booker's ability to elevate other players. It's a kind of a weird thing to say, but like we all can see on the court when like LeBron James is making his teammates better. Chris Paul does that just to a more minor extent, but I think Chris Paul is going to teach Devin Booker how to really do that, not just make them a little better, to make them immensely better. So that's that's the team hot. Very hot right now, top of the charts in the NBA. We talk about the team on the other end of the spectrum here, a team that may be still lingering from the long playoff run last year. The Denver Nuggets just one and four to start this season. Jokic has looked pretty good. Murray has struggled at times. Porter has struggled at times. Their their power their power forward depth is a little different now. Um, what's been what's been the struggle here in Denver so far? I want to say it's the fact that Jamal Murray hasn't been putting up exceptional numbers like he was in the bubble, but the power forward depth or just their depth in general. Like, I think that is something that's been really, we took for granted last year. Like they really had a lot of great players off the bench or even starting like um, they had, Oh, it's his name. I can't remember it. I was on the Pistons now. Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant, yeah, those guys, like, those are super important pieces to them, and they kind of, you know, they sort of went away for nothing. And well, I don't think it's the reason they're losing games. It's just it doesn't help the fact. Like, they could add a few points here or there, and that could really be the difference in some of them. No, I agree. Well, for, first I want to talk about Jeremy Grant. Both these two guys uh, that I'm going to mention are on the Pistons now and playing pretty well for the most part. Jeremy Grant was just, he emerged in the bubble. We all knew, you know, you being a Sixers fan, you got to see him for a little bit. He's a hustle guy. He's an energy guy. He's going to go for rebounds. He's not going to score you a whole lot of points every night, but he's an energy guy and a great one to have. And, you know, the bubble for him was the peak of that, in my opinion, is he's not a player that's going to peak and then come down for the rest of his career. He's going to have a guy, he's going to be the kind of guy that has a career that goes up and down and up and down. And that's okay because of the, how high the up can go. The other player is Plumlee. That was just simply Jokic's backup. That was a very good backup center to have. Now you're asking a very young, inexperienced, and clearly not ready Bull Bull to step into the, to the backup role. You're asking Jermichael Green, who's played very minutes sparingly over the past few years, to now step in as the backup power forward to an aging Paul Millsap. The end of the depth isn't there, especially on the big man side. Um you're now asking Jokic and an older Millsap to play a lot more minutes and a lot more meaningful minutes, which is, which is difficult, especially in the early season. I still expect Denver to be in the playoffs. I still expect them to be a top seed in that playoffs and make a good run. But like you said, if Murray can't get hot, that, that, that is how they make their playoff run. So moving down the list, we've got John Wall after two years absence in the NBA making his return to the court. And honestly, it was a pretty impressive one. Uh, nine rebounds, six boards, 20 plus points in his Rockets debut. What did you like out of, out of John Wall in his first action this year? And he looks as explosive and athletic as ever, which is really cool to see. Cause he's one of those guys who like you play in 2k and just run circles around people. And that's how he is in real life. Like he's super fast, super agile, super nimble. 
you know, with the reports coming out that he had like like four infections after his Achilles injury, like that's to come back from an Achilles injury one, like that's tough enough. Infections on top of that, like that's scary and also tough. But he, he looks like he hasn't missed a beat, which is good. I'm glad to see him back. And, um, you know, he's got some complimentary pieces. You know, Christian Wood has looked very good. I know he, you have this whole mindset that wins are better than stats, but Christian Wood is putting up some pretty impressive stats so far. He is. He looks like a real NBA big man. And I'll eat my awards if I have to, but, you know, wins I still think are more important than a nice 19 and, and 10 stat line. But Christian agree, Wood but... Is, is a top most improved candidate to start the year. Yeah. Houston's future success. Again, we're going to to talk about this a lot this year we have no idea what the big question mark around Harden's going to look like we have no clue if wall and boogie are going to be able to stay healthy throughout the course of the year um if you're if you were a houston fan what would you want out of this season would you want to tank would you want to make a playoff run do you want to keep or lose harden i mean how are you looking at this well sooner or later harden's gonna leave unless you really get like you know a superstar and i mean like like a top 10 caliber player. I, I tend to imagine if you're going to, tr- well, first of all, don't hard walk for free. Obviously it's a given. He's got two years on his contract. So you should be able to do that pretty easily. Uh, you want to get a young group of players. You know, Christian Wood is fairly young and looking to develop on his own. So bringing that, that amount of that type of player in will really help out. I think John wall is a good piece to have. I don't know sustained what you can really do with him. You know, DeMarcus Cousins, kind of the same thing. I think if you're a Rockets fan, you'd want the team to make a push at the playoffs. You'd want them probably to get like the lower echelon of teams, like a seven to 10. Cause I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the West. And I strongly disagree if anyone would say otherwise, if you're not going to be the worst team in the West, there's really no reason to tank. Cause you're basically up to a lottery. Like you're up to, ping pong balls bounce around in a container for a chance at number one pick. And, you know, a guy like, you know, Cade Cunningham may be a really good player, but you got with the team you have, you're at best a 15% chance of getting it. I'm just doing mental gymnastics here, clearly, (laughs) but you might as well make a push at it. Sort of see what your players have, maybe build up trade value for some of them. Like obviously Christian Woods, a good piece, you don't want to trade him, but like a John Wall potentially, like maybe DeMarcus Cousins even. You can do a lot, and if you show that you have pieces and you're willing to deal them, might as well go for it. Yeah, I just am now imagining a trade in which they're sending both Harden and John Wall to the same team because that's $80 million a year wrapped up in two players. I don't know who would take on that contract. That's Those contracts are disgusting. Like Harden's is fine because he's a top 10 player. Right. But John Walls is a bad contract. And even with his production, like it's it's a lot. It, it's a lot of money. I just thought it was funny. Numerically speaking, that that much revolves around two players. But uh, Houston, we're going to monitor them all year, as most people would. But uh, big question mark on them, obviously. And a few other teams to start the year that have some question marks on them. Actually, some of the top teams in the Eastern Conference who are not normally the teams we've been mentioning over the last couple seasons being the top-tier talent in the East. we got the Orlando Magic the Atlanta Hawks and the Cleveland Cavaliers all above 500, all looking very sharp to start the season. In fact, the Orlando magic with just one loss so far to your Philadelphia 76ers of these teams. I kind of want to ask you who you think 
it is really a kind of contender to make a push at the playoffs, obviously more likely the bottom tier seeds and who is just having a hot start to the season. Okay. Let's start with the Hawks. The Hawks cool. are legit. They, you know, getting Gallinari this off season and the other pieces they have, Oh, they look so good. And they destroyed the nets last night. Like they, they are scary. They can score on whim. They have a high powered offense. And, you know, that makes up for some of the defensive inefficiencies that you've seen. Like, they're they're pretty deep. They're young. I think they're legit. Magic. Not legit. I think the Magic will make the playoffs, but I just... 5-1 and one is sort of, like, that's, that's impressive, but I think that's not sustainable. And, like, Markel Fultz is a good player. I, the pain in my voice to say that as a Sixers fan. He's a good player. But I don't know what you can really you, – you can maybe get 20 points out of a night, but other than that, I just don't see much out of it. Like, Aaron Gordon is okay, good forward. Vucevic is your most consistent player. Other than that, you're – there's not much. Like, you have Cole Anthony, who basically is Markel Fultz, but a better facilitator. Like, yeah, yeah I don't know. Well, I'm just uh... – I want to say on the magic, their hot start um, to any, like not many people pay a lot of attention to the Atlanta magic for good reason. Yes. Um, I do simply because they're in the heats division. We play them four times a year. I like to keep up with who's the best team in Florida. And every year, at least for the last four or five seasons, the Atlanta magic start very hot. You know, they're one of the top teams in the Eastern conference. Then they just find their way to 18 and 12. And then from there, it kind of collapses. They never really finished any more or less than two or three games above or below 500 like you said, they'll probably make the playoffs as one of the bottom seeds, but like as in terms of making any noise. Yeah. I mean, Vucevic is there, but you don't bank on Fultz scoring 20 a night yet. And that's, you know, you need a second guy to do that. You need a third guy to do that. Yeah. Now the Cavs, this is by far the most interesting one. I think they are legit. I'd like to put like kind of an asterisk on that. Yes, I know. I like to split the middle, deal with it, but Darius Garland and Colin Sexton have looked really good together. You know, a nice backcourt tandem that we can say is called Sexland. Am I allowed to say that? Probably, right? Why not? Yeah, why not? Let's coin it. Sexland. But they, <laughs> I know other people have said it. They look good. Isaac Kuro has also looked like a very good piece to the team as they're you know, forward. Kevin Love hasn't done much, but, like, he's getting old. So, it's you know, it's kind of okay. But Andre Jumbo has looked pretty good, anyway. too. What's up? He's out for a month anyway. I mean, you can let talent kind of develop. Like, Andre Drummond does look really good. Like, I think they will compete for a bottom-tier seed. But it's looking up for the Cavs, finally. Yeah, I agree. Future of Cleveland, who do you think is going to be the better guard, Sexton or Garland? I tend to believe Darius Garland will because I have my reservations about Colin Sexton. Yeah. I agree. I think Garland looks more like the complete player, whereas Sexton, he's going to be, I think, going to be an elite Zach Levine type scorer. I think he also see, like tops out at a Zach Levine. Colin Sexton to me, though, also seems spotty in the sense that I think he's going to be super streaky. And like he'll look really good for a little while and then kind of look awful in the split second. Yeah. Well, this is his third year now. So it's the time where he's got to really start to solidify himself as a consistent NBA player, or it's maybe time for Cleveland to start looking in a different direction. 
Um, but if you want volume shooting, let me tell you, the league's leader in three-pointers made per game, C.J. McCollum, and the Portland Trailblazers are off to a very nice start this year. Their offense last night looked spectacular against the Golden State Warriors. C.J. had four first-quarter threes. I think he had six for the game. Uh, the Western Conference is packed, though, in terms of stars. Uh, do you think C.J. McCollum, do you think this is the year he might have a chance to crack that all-star game? I do. Because right now he's playing like a Steph Curry. And, and I mean that in the sense that, like, I think he's playing better than him. And Steph Curry is usually a lock in the all-star when he's not injured. You know, could he usurp Steph? I think there's a legitimate argument for that. And Clay Thompson isn't in it. Like, there's not a whole lot of better shooting guards than those guys. And obviously, they're, they're probably, or sorry, there probably are in the sense that, like, CJ McCollum isn't the number two guy in the West, but you know, it's, it becomes interesting after that. Yeah. And, and if Portland's doing well, if he continues this, this hot spell, this, you know, 28 points per game on, on spectacular shooting and leading the league with threes, it's hard not to put that player. in. even if his name isn't Steph Curry or James Harden, like if those guys teams are having bad years, they're maybe not having what we're expecting. I think this is a very fair year to put CJ in. And uh, this is all Lehigh bias aside. Yeah. My Lehigh bias is always strong. But uh, you, got, you got Alex went to Lehigh and for anyone who doesn't know, CJ McCollum was my coach at a Lehigh basketball camp for one summer, which was awesome. Taught me my floater, which is one of my favorite moves. Um, but I'm, I'm excited for CJ. I love him. I love that Blazers backcourt. I think it's, in my opinion, the most exciting backcourt in all of basketball. Definitely the most lethal in terms of scoring and shooting. But I, I've talked about Portland already. I think the sky really is the limit for them this year, you know, at least until the conference final. Um, but I, I think they're going to have a good year. And I, I think CJ's success is a large part of that. All right. So uh, one last bit here for the NBA. It's uh, with a heavy heart. We say that a uh, hall of famer, Paul Westville has passed away at the age of 70. The Phoenix Suns announced former NBA champion with the Boston Celtics and a multiple time all-star with Phoenix. Unfortunate to report, but a basketball staple. We wanted to pay our respects. Yeah. Uh, RIP Paul Westall. You know, we started off last year losing David Stern on New Year's, losing Paul Westall. Like, it's it's not fun. It's been a pretty just crummy nine months. So, RIP, you know, thoughts go out to, the, you know, the Suns organization, the Celtics, um, and obviously to his friends and family. Of course. Paul Westall died at the age of 70. Moving on from basketball, the MLB still in off-season mode. Just a little bit to report here. We're going to start with our Phillies, just a minor move. Um, but the move for something we desperately needed, which was relief pitching, we acquired Jose Alvarado from the Rays in a three-team deal with them and the Dodgers. Uh, Phillies will be sending some, some lesser-known prospects in return. Um, it's going to take a lot, though, for the Phillies to be able to rebuild that bullpen. Um, but it's nice to see them at least look working for it. I, I don't know personally too, too terribly much about this Alvarado fella, but I'm excited that Phillies that the Phillies are looking towards upping that what was the clear largest point in error for their team last year. Um, so that that did make me feel good as a fan. You sound like a narc though. I don't know too much about this Alvarado kind of fella, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it just that just made me giggle. Like, it's, good. Yeah. And the Phillies, like you know. They have a good core. You know, they could re-sign a specific catcher who we've been talking about for literal months who is somehow still unsigned. Phillies, please sign, re-sign JT Romoto. Like, just please. It's not hard. 
if you want the city behind you again, get us the best catcher in baseball. <laughs> yeah. On the flip side, though, the Padres, another very young team, made a pretty good push to try and win the NL next year. They acquired yeah, no acquiring not one but two all-star pitchers. First was Blake Snell coming over from Tampa Bay, and then in the surprise move of it all, the Cubs, in now an attempt to fully rebuild, have sent you Darvish to San Diego. So let's start with the Padres. What great moves they just made. Yeah, I mean, it was surprising when they signed Machado in the sense that there wasn't really much going on there. They have Machado locked in for, I don't know, like 10, 12 years, like a Bryce Harper type contract where it's just, Mm -hmm. it's insane how long he's there for. Then you got uh, good old Fernando Tatis Jr. who really had a great year this year. They kind of were a little iffy on pitching. They still had a good pitching core. But now you add you Darvish, who's always very consistent, you know, pitcher in a rotation. And then Blake Snell, whose last moments were him being pulled from game six of the World Series in what I believe he only gave a run. So kind of surprising move. And that's a pretty fitting way to end a career in Tampa Bay. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, on the flip side for Chicago. Uh, I can't imagine the fans of the Cubs are going to be too pleased with this move, especially so close removed from that World Series run. But they seem to be in rebuild. Their new manager uh, see, seems to say that that is the direction they're going, and the move of you Darvish would would you know continue on that path. Do you think we're going to see the Cubs maybe move some of their star players, especially the ones that were so impactful towards that World Series win? Yeah, it's tough because I know the Cubs are in that mode. Like Chicago is a very diehard fan base. They have years of mediocrity and, you know, baseball obviously is the worst for them. And when they won the World Series, it was something special. So I can tend to imagine they don't want to give up hope. But right now they are probably a bottom team in the NL for the playoffs. I mean, and they probably have a chance of missing it depending on how they do the formatting. If they do eight teams, they think they can make it. But if you do the standard like five teams, I think they could miss it. So depending on what they're going to do next year, I would probably say that you got to go for a rebuild. But I tend to believe Chicago fans, and you would know better than I would, would not like the sound of that. And that creates problems. Yeah, it does. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, I live with or used to live with and live near, you know, Iowa, Iowa number or excuse me, Chicago number two, which is essentially Iowa City. There's, there's a million Cubs fans here, a million Chicago fans. And all I was hearing about the last few years, how great the Cubs were. And now I fear all I'm going to hear about is how many mistakes they made this offseason. But, you know, they let go ahead, Lester. They give away Darvish. They brought back Rizzo, which I think was the uh, we need to do this or we're going to get run out of our own city move. But I will. I do not imagine any Cubs fans are going to be too pleased. And I'm about to go talk to one after we uh, finish up here. But <laughs> it... Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's looking a little bleak for them right now, especially in a time where the White Sox are, are on the rise. That never feels good when you share a city and you're the worst team. But uh, that's what we got for the MLB. Padres on the rise. Phillies making moves. Cubbies in rebuild mode. Season getting closer and closer. Again, we'll keep you posted on all the big moves. And now the big daddy of them all, the NFL. We are just one week removed from postseason play. Just week 17 next week, or excuse me, tomorrow is week 17. Before we start, start, what's up? Before you start, I have breaking news. 
Ooh, breaking news. Breaking news. As of probably five minutes ago, the Jets have announced they're going to part ways with Adam Gase at the end of the season. Heartbreaking. Yeah, I guess there's rumors that he may end up in New England as a QB's coach. Not really surprising. The Adam Gase experiment was a complete and utter failure. Unless yep. this draft pick, who they pick, is going to be a stud, then it was he was a necessary pawn, kind of like Sam Hinkie was for the Sixers. But probably a good move for the Jets. They kind of need to clear house and really begin. I think they're done with the re- well. I guess they're rebuilding, but maybe this is the start of something better. That has to be the hope at this point. Um, Gase, not only did it take him the longest of any other coach to win a game this year, but now he is since clinched not getting the number one overall pick for just a two-win team. A uh, fair, fair reason to part ways with him there. The Jets, you have to just say there's only one way, no way to go but up. You know, you know looking on the bright side of things. Yeah, as that French Montana fellow says, nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. That's the one. <laughs> Bingo was his name. Oh, moving on. Some more uh, subpar NFL teams, but yet one that is in the playoff picture: the Washington Football Team. Finally, after many failed experiments with him under center, cut Dwayne Haskins, naming Alex Smith the probable starter, and if not Taylor Hinky, I believe is how you say it, would be the starter in place. He's been the practice squad guy. Um. Is Washington going to win and make the playoffs? That's really the only thing that matters at this point. Oh, I hope so, or else I'm going to be upset next episode. Because <laughs> if the Washington football team loses, that means the Eagles win. If the Eagles win, they get an even worse pick than they already have. So, like, the Eagles have no incentive to win. Washington football team has all the incentive to win. I hope they can win. Because then the Eagles could maybe do something with like a top five pick potentially. And Alex Smith, I feel like is, you know, he's a very good, very serviceable quarterback. I don't know if he'll win you a Super Bowl. I don't think that's what the WFT is really focused on. I think they're just, let's get to the playoffs and Happy win a division title. But yeah, I think it, Alex Smith is their best bet. Like Dwayne Haskins, not a good football player and the stuff He's been doing off the field with like, you know, going to a strip club, not wearing a mask, like stupid. Unfortunately, you got to be a little bit smarter when it comes to those decisions. The release is kind of a wake up call for him. I think he'll be better soon. And I'm sure he'll get snapped up by a team. He's still young. He has potential potentially, you know, but we'll, we'll have to see. I think Dwayne Haskins will get signed. I think it'll be a backup somewhere for a little bit, but I think he'll be a wide receiver somewhere. You think I think he is the worst starting quarterback sub Ben DiNucci that I've ever seen throw a football. I think he can run, which is huge, but I think he's tall enough that he could be a wide receiver. And I think if he can learn, cause I have to assume somebody like that at least has taken reps at wide receiver in his past. So I can't imagine he's too far off. And, you know, someone like Terrell Pryor didn't carve out a long career, but he did carve out a career at wide receiver despite playing quarterback in college. So I think it's possible. I think he's a hybrid guy that could stick around the league, but I actually think he's going to be out of the league for a year. I think he needs some time to rebuild just the style of player that he is. Maybe. Hear me out, though. If he's going to be a wide receiver, New England Patriots. They love receivers oh. who originally played quarterback. Big, you know, Julian Edelman guy, you know, gadget plays, potentially. But um, That would hurt me, especially if he finds success, but – that is a good place for, for him to go. Someone who's that hybrid and, you know, they don't even know what they're doing at quarterback at this point, but yeah, Plus he, Haskins, I think has a career 
a future in the NFL, but it's going to be slow moving for a little while. All the people you mentioned your Philadelphia Eagles. There's been a lot of concern and questions about who's going to stay personnel wise, coaching players, whatever. Um, Some of that seems to be eased now as Philadelphia seems to have decided they're going to keep Doug Peterson for next season. He does still have a meeting set up about the next uh, season with Jeffrey Lurie, but uh, for now it seems like they're keeping the coach and I'm pretty sure you're pretty happy about that, right? I'm content with it. I'm sure there's a lot of other people who don't have that. I was, I was with my dad the other day and we're listening to like, you know, we're on drive listening to the radio and it was, you know, one of the Philly stations, you know, all about the Eagles and I don't know who the guy was and I don't really care. I wouldn't really want to give him name recognition anyway, but he was like the Eagles Super Bowl run was a fluke. Like Doug Peterson had nothing to do with the Super Bowl run. I'm like, first of all, to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. You need a bit of luck, but you need a lot of skill to even get in position to be in the playoffs. They and also had three losses that year. Exactly. And one of them was a forced loss because they didn't want to play the Cowboys. But like what I'm getting at is, you know, as much as we want to criticize Doug Peters from this year, you still need to give him the benefit of the doubt in the Super Bowl. He beat one of the best coaches, if not the best coach of all time, playing like gutsy, ballsy game. And it was a close game to say the least. Like, I think Doug Peterson is a good coach. I think give him an off season, give him a non tumultuous few months to prepare and let's get our offensive line back. Let's let Carson Wentz, you know, kind of figure out his rhythm. Let's run it back at least another year. If he doesn't do good next year. Yeah. It's cause for firing, but you got to give him another chance considering besides his first year. And now he's made the playoffs every other year or sorry, every year besides those. And, you know, has had success in the playoffs. As a non-Eagles fan, looking at this a little, you know, taking a step back and being able to see the whole organization, maybe, I don't want to say more clearly, but in a different light. Sure. Um, if you have the Super Bowl winning coach that won your franchise, the first ever Super Bowl that it's won, and and you're in this 50-50, like, I don't know if we should keep him or we should get, get rid of him. I think you just, he's deserved to get the benefit of the out in that situation i don't know if doug peterson really was the issue the main concern this year or not i think next year will be the true showing of that but the fact that he brought philly a super bowl less than less than five years ago is to me reason enough to keep him for at least one more chance you still have this whole question mark at quarterback and and with the line situation i i don't think you can just throw this on peterson so i really like the move to keep him yeah it'll be it'll be interesting off season though because i can guarantee you people are going to be like they should sign insert person here, insert person here, but they, their cap is rough. And, you know, that's a product of Howie Roseman. I don't know if he'll get fired. We will have to see with that, but um, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. They have to work with what they got for the most part, but with that number five potential pick, you know, maybe you draft a guy like Devonta Smith, who's potentially going to win the Heisman or at least the Blitnikoff award. Like there's a lot of hope, especially with that pick too. I agree. The Eagles, where it was a rough year, you got you got reason to be faithful and hopeful. So their their season may may be ending next week, excuse me, tomorrow, but uh still still looking up and still a lot to look forward to in Philadelphia. Now, again, we mentioned last week that COVID was gonna impact playoff the playoff picture. Uh, we talked about how the Cleveland Browns essentially played last week without wide receivers. This week it's gonna be a little different. Instead of a group like we've seen receivers and quarterbacks go down. Now we're just seeing two very key noteworthy players on two 
of the top teams in the playoffs out for week 17 and now questionable to play in week in the playoffs because of COVID. That would be the Saints superstar running back Alvin Kamara coming off that six touchdown performance and Pittsburgh Steelers defensive back Joe Hayden, longtime Cleveland Brown, multiple time Pro Bowler now with the Steelers. Both of these guys out for the final game of the season and based off protocol, it is going to be very tough to see them play in the first round of the playoffs. First of all, it may seem obvious, but who's impacted more by these, by these uh, inactive, uh, potentially inactive players and uh, long-term or for the rest of the playoffs, how much is COVID going to impact players playing? Oh boy. I, I mean, the saints with Kamara out, I don't think that really matters that much. Cause you know, they're, they're not going to get the number one seed as we figured out before this podcast, Yes, but we'll uh, like not having him for the first round could be interesting because Kamara is a super impactful player for the saints. And is Michael Thomas slated to be back? No, he is. He might return for the first round of the playoffs. Okay. If you don't have Michael Thomas and Kamara, that is cause for a lot of concern. And with the saints spotty track record in the playoffs, that's a recipe for disaster, no matter who you're playing. So uh, I'm going to say Kamara in the sense that if he's out for an extra week, like this week is irrelevant. I don't care. Yeah. But a week after, like in the first round, especially that Michael Thomas and an aging Drew Brees, that could be very, very bad and a bad storm for the Saints. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm just going to talk about the, the Pittsburgh effect with Joe Hayden. The defense has already suffered so many injuries and now your top you know, corner goes down it's not good. Pittsburgh is benching their starters versus Cleveland. They're accepting that they're going to be the three seed more than likely. But if Joe Hayden misses the playoffs and we play a team, you know, the bottom three teams don't quite scare me maybe as much as they should, but if a team gets hot passing the football against us, we're going to have very little resistance because Minka is the safety. He's not guarding the team's best receiver. It's a little more difficult for him to shut somebody down. Now Um, that one scares me a lot. I think you're right with the Saints if they have Thomas. You know, they have Murray as the backup running back, Latavius Murray. So they, they have a good backup. They might not be affected by just one guy going down. But, yeah, the two, that that could be detrimental. Yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is, like, Joe Hayden, very good player, very important player to your defense. But you have people like Minka Fitzpatrick, Bud Dupree, TJ Watt. You have other weapons to make up that slack. Like, with the Saints, the Saints have a decent defense. It's spotty. But – their offense is kind of what they're known for. You have Drew Brees who can you know throw the ball all he wants. But if you're missing Michael Thomas, who is a super important receiver for Brees, you know, the slant route master, and then you lose Kamara, who's you know multi-purpose running back and run the ball, can catch passes. Like you have Emmanuel Sanders, who I think defenses can cover. You know, he's a good player, but he's known receiver one. He's also 33 years old. He is 33 years old. Thank you, Robbie, for remembering something finally in the new year. Um, but on top of that, like Latavius Murray, a good running back, but a, a pure running back, not really a pass catcher. Like he can do a bit of that. So, so can I though. And I'm not in the NFL. And then finally, how, how much is the, do you expect the coronavirus to impact playoff rosters? during the postseason, Do you think teams are going to start taking the protocols a little more seriously, or are we going to find ourselves in a situation where star players or a team's entire wide receiver core won't be playing in the playoffs? Teams will take them a lot more seriously. We're not going to have, you know, like the Broncos situation, entire QB, like they were out. And I don't think we're going to have the Brown situation either where the entire wide receiver core was out. But 
I tend to imagine, and this is me being super pessimistic. I feel like it's got to happen. And what's going to be problematic is if the NFL makes the decision to postpone a playoff game rather than make a team play without insert players here. And if that happens, regardless of what they decide, there is going to be so much drama associated with that. I tend to believe they push a playoff game back because you'd want to see the best type of game, but I don't know. They could really try and punish a team and make an example that they really wanted to. I was about to say, if they punish the Pittsburgh Steelers, there's going to be some rioting in Pittsburgh. <laughs> but like, if imagine the Patriots were in the playoffs. I know it's a horribly unpleasant thought, but think about it. And imagine like, like let's, let's say Tom Brady's in the team and I don't know, Brian Hoyer comes in, has COVID and their entire QB thing, like entire QBs potentially have COVID, but they haven't tested for it. Like the NFL could make, like could have made an example of the Patriots and been like, nope, they have to play without their QBs. Julian Edelman plays QB. Good luck. And like the NFL is kind of spiteful like that. And I hate to say that because, you know, we love the NFL, but I think they'd make a, they would try and make a personal statement to the world and, you know, to everyone else by being like, nope, play with what you got. You violated the rules. Yeah. If we know one thing about Roger Goodell, that is uh, he can be a petty, petty man. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see. I, I assume they have some kind of protocol set up for if it gets to the point where a game needs to get the later postponed. Um, but for now, the playoffs are going to move forward as scheduled. I have one more piece of breaking news. Oh boy. Here we so go. our other garbage dumpster fire team, the Jacksonville Jaguars are expected to release Doug Marone at the end of the season. So after tomorrow, the top two candidates apparently are urban Meyer, who is currently, you know, retired quote unquote, and then Ryan Day. Oh. So two Ohio State guys. Interesting. I think any of them take the Jags job. Do you think if they hire either? Well, first of all, I think Urban Meyer has to be the clear-cut choice if you're Jacksonville. Just the, the range, wide-ranging success that he had, uh, the pedigree he comes with. But you mentioned the fact that they're both Ohio State guys. If they're to sign one of them, is, is oh, that the bridge to take Justin Fields? That's a, the gears were turning, and I finally got what you're getting at. Yo, I you know what I do actually. I with Cliff Kingsbury, what happened before? I think you take Justin Fields. If, if you get Ryan Day, especially, I think you're taking Justin Fields. That is interesting. Wow. Yeah, huh. man, you 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 got me with that, and I'm like, oh wait, wait, let me let me hit you back with this. That's that's interesting. So some storylines developing in Jacksonville there. The Ohio State professional football team, potentially. <laughs> yeah, I actually – I don't think Urban Meyer will take the job. I think Urban Meyer is actually done with coaching. If he comes back, I literally think he will die because apparently this guy was like – no, I, I mean that truthfully. Like he was suffering from some severe anxiety coaching for Florida and Ohio State. You know, it's tough coaching for top-tier programs, and I get that. But they have some – gimme games in there imagine coaching for jacksonville where nothing is really a gimme game especially in the nfl like you're going to probably die by week 14 of your first season potentially you make some fair points go with the younger guy a little more physically able (laughs) you know i don't know much about ryan day and that's kind of on me 
I tend to believe Ryan Day would stay with Ohio State, though. Like, I just, it seems so like a cushiony, nice job. You're winning a ton. You're making good money. Exactly. If you're having success in a program like that, it's so hard to be convinced to leave. It's why we don't see someone like Mike Krzyzewski ever going to coach in the NBA. He's so comfortable coaching at the top talent, or, you know, the top talent in Duke. He has no no reason to leave. And And they compensate him nicely. And if Ryan Day gets to the point where he starts to get compensated very nicely for the job that he does, there's no point taking a risk and leaving that job. Yeah. Maybe if he wins the Natty like national title, maybe there's a chance. Cause he's like, Oh, I've, you know, I've done everything I've wanted to do type thing. Right. But I tend to believe he likes Ohio state, but I would love to see that development. Cause I imagine we're going to see a lot of more rumblings about Justin Fields going number one overall. I agree. And I'm all excited for all of them. We love the drama. We love the chaos here at gym class, all stars. A lot of that going to be coming up with the draft and the Jaguars and the jets and all those top tier players and picks. But first, we have some playoff scenarios to go through here. Um, not everybody is clinched, but we're going to start, you know, I'm just going to go through the conferences here and we're going to see what can happen still. So in the AFC, as we know, Kansas City has clinched the number one overall seed and for the first round by for two, three, four. Uh, Buffalo, if they lost and Pittsburgh were to win, Pittsburgh would be the two seed. However, Pittsburgh is benching their starters against Cleveland. They're anticipating being the three seed from what it looks like. Four is Tennessee. I don't think they have a tiebreaker over Buffalo, and they they lost to the Steelers, so they definitely don't own that one. Um, so I don't know if they can get higher than four, to be completely honest. I, actually, I think they did beat Buffalo. Okay, so in that case, they could still be fighting for the three seed if Buffalo were to lose. Then Buffalo plays Miami, so it's possible. Yeah, um, but I think I think Buffalo is going to try and want to like they're going to win twofold to beat a division rival, but also secure that two seed. You got to secure that two seed. And then we'll, you know, we'll talk about the other side of that matchup. Miami, if they're able to defeat Buffalo, they're in the win and in scenario. They would be the five seed in the playoffs with a victory over Buffalo. Um, that's going to be in a very important matchup because if Buffalo falls and, you know, Pittsburgh's maybe hanging around with Cleveland, which is always possible, that could be a really interesting turn of events. And then, you know, Tennessee and Indianapolis both playing the bottom two teams in their respective division. It's really possible Buffalo falls all the way to four. Yeah, it's true. Like they have probably the toughest matchup considering the Steelers are probably just going to like, they're kind of laying over and dying against the Browns. The Titans are going to want to win because they are not guaranteed a playoff spot until they win. Yep. Yeah. Like the bills probably have the toughest matchup because the dolphins are a legitimately good team, but um, I think they'll Um, take care of them. I, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Noah, we won't have Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's also out with COVID. So the Dolphins will have to play Tua in the fourth quarter, even if it's a close game. The win and ins today, Tennessee, if they win, they clinch their division. They will be somewhere in the range of three to four, two, I think is up. But I actually don't believe they can get to two uh, because they don't own the tiebreaker over Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, Miami has a win and in to be the five. Baltimore win and in to be the six. Cleveland a win and in to be the seven. But with Cleveland, that's where that's where most of the, the drama comes in the AFC. So if Cleveland were to lose and Indianapolis were to win, the Colts would go to the playoffs. If Indianapolis were to win and the Titans were to lose and subsequently uh, let the Colts win the division, the Browns own the tiebreaker over the Titans. They beat Tennessee during the season 41 to 35. That was that awesome shootout game that came down in the wire somehow. So, so Cleveland, as much as they did mess up with their loss last week to the, to the Jets, 
they're still in a spot where they control their own destiny. If they're able to beat Pittsburgh, who's like I mentioned, going to be playing a lot of a lot of bench players, no no Watt, no Roethlisberger, they're they're going to be in a good spot to clinch the playoffs. There is unfortunately no scenario where an eleven win team misses the playoffs this year. So. Actually, that's wrong. If the Titans, the Browns, and the Colts all win, the Colts would be an 11-win team to miss the playoffs. Okay. Huh. That could happen. It's possible. I mean, the Dolphins are the one team I would say probably is the, like, the least chance of winning in that scenario. Yeah, the scenario where the Dolphins don't miss would essentially be they lose and everybody else wins. I don't know exactly if they own the tiebreaker over Indianapolis or Cleveland, they or excuse me, if Indianapolis or Tennessee, but they definitely hold it over Baltimore. And I believe they hold it over Cleveland as well. Are the Ravens guaranteed to be in the Ravens have a win and in the Ravens will miss the playoffs. If both the Browns win the Colts win and they lose. Okay. All right. Um, so no Baltimore one is safe Cincinnati this week. Yeah. No one is safe, but like, honestly, this, the Browns have a tough game, but the Steelers are benching a lot of people. And the Dolphins have a tough game, so the Bills are still playing for something. Yep. So those are probably the two games. I mean, there could be an upset, but I tend to believe, you know, the Colts are playing the Jags, so I tend to believe the Colts will win that, even though they lost prior in the season. The Titans yeah. are – oh, who are the Titans playing? They're playing some bum team. Or, they're playing the, – oh, they're playing the, the, the Texans. The Colts get the – yeah, yeah. Titans and Texans. So I think the Titans will win that as well because the Texans want to play for, well, actually, all right, conspiracy time. The Texans owe their pick to the Dolphins. Yep. So maybe they want to win. <laughs> they, they might want to win here. And obviously, you know, a lot of these teams like to play division spoiler, even if it hurts their draft stock, they like to keep uh, their other teams out of the playoffs. And I think, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, not quite in the, the like losing, helping them scenario, but I think the backups are going to try and win. You know, there's that narrative of Mason Rudolph and Miles Garrett. Now they're going to be going at each other. They're actually both going to be lining up as captains this week, which I think is spectacular. I um, hope Miles Garrett hits him with a helmet. I would love to see that again. I hope something happens. I really, really do. Not as long as it doesn't so. hamper Pittsburgh's uh, playoff efforts. But, you know, Pittsburgh's going to try and win that game. Pittsburgh is going to put themselves in this position where if we can beat Cleveland and kick them out of the playoffs, we want to do that because it's the Cleveland Browns. So that's what the AFC is looking like. That's about half the drama we got going around the NFL playoff picture. The other half resides in the other conference, the NFC, where not even the number one overall seed has been locked up. In fact, the the only upper two seeds locked, or excuse me, the only upper seed locked right now is whoever wins the NFC East will be the four seed. That is the only certainty in the standings in the AFC right now the Saints cannot become the number one overall seed but they can fall to three now this is where things get a little messy and we had to do a lot of research right before this show to figure out the official tiebreakers but so the Packers currently hold a one game lead over the Seahawks if they are to lose and the Seahawks were to win their in-conference record would become nine and three respectively. they would both be nine and three within the NFC the next tiebreaker becomes strength of schedule, and that is where Seattle overtakes Green Bay and would become the number one overall seed. That is the only reason why the Green Bay Packers have not clinched the number one overall seed so far. Yeah, before the show, we were trying to figure out, you know, standings. And, you know, I'm I, I'm a Bachelor of Science Mechanical Engineering. I'm a pretty smart guy. This is probably the most thought-provoking thing I've done in months. Like, we were, like, 
we were scrambling down conspiracy theories about why who would get the number one seed, whatnot, trying to map out scenarios. But now we have them, so we're feeling good. <laughs> yeah, no, we uh, we put in the work. We're here for you, giving you the, the accurate information you're craving. Um, the other the other interesting spots in the NFC, so the 9-6 and six Rams, who lost to Seattle last week to clinch not being able to win that division, are not safe yet. If they were to lose to the Cardinals and the Bears were also to, to be victorious tomorrow, then the Bears would be the six, the Cardinals would be the seven, and the Rams would all of like, out of nowhere miss the playoffs. That is not as far-fetched of a concept as some may think. It's only it's only two games that matter. I can't believe the Bears could make the playoffs. That's what bothers me the most. Yeah, that's one uh that, that that's a head scratcher. They were they were literally the roller coaster team this year. They started hot, and then they get ice cold, and then and then you know Foles gets down, and they're like, oh, that's it. And then somehow Mitch Trubisky revitalizes them. It's it's very interesting, but they're a week away from from postseason play. Last time they were in the playoffs, we had a uh, I think a field goal hit hit a crossbar a few times, something along those lines. Yeah, I, I kind of recall that. Um, yeah, doink? Yeah. Was that the noise it made? Yeah, I, I think it did twice, actually. Something like that. A double yeah. doink, if you would. Yeah, a double <laughs> doink. Otherwise, for that bottom mess, um, if the Rams win and the Bears win, the Rams and the Bears go to the playoffs. If the Rams win and the Bears lose, so so the Ram, let me re, uh, restate this. The Rams play the Cardinals. They're playing each other in the last week of the season. If the Rams beat the Cardinals and the Bears also lose, the Bears still make the playoffs. They would be the, the seventh seed. They own the tiebreaker over, over Arizona right now. Arizona makes the playoffs with a victory and I believe a Chicago Bears loss. I don't that's, know if they just that's correct. need the victory. They also need the, the yeah. Bears loss. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually incredible how the Cardinals, who were also a very streaky team, are somehow – there's a good chance they're going to miss out in the playoffs to the Bears. Yeah. What? Yeah. To the, ba- the Bears, man. The it's Bears. Crazy end of the season stuff here. Um, the team, the teams with the, the toughest tests moving forward, though, Arizona and Indianapolis. They're the two teams on the outside looking in right now. One day of games left. We just have t- tomorrow. I don't even believe there's Monday Night Football this upcoming week. And then we'll have postseason football. It's just crazy how 2020 went that we are finally going to get ourselves to postseason playoff uh, football awesome it's a good way to start what we all need to be a nice fresh year that's what we got for the nfl and for our new segment and speaking of a nice fresh year we're going to start with five superlatives to start this 2020 season and to have ended or excuse me 2021 season and to have ended 2020 we're going to start out as always the mvp alex who was i guess either your last mvp of 2020 or i'm going to say the first mvp of 2021 First MVP of 2021 goes to Justin Fields for ripping all of Clemson's hearts out, for torching them, for being gutsy after getting hit in the ribs, all that. Justin Fields, you played phenomenal. Your draft stock has risen tremendously. Let's let's beat Bama. Let's bring home another championship for Ohio State. It's a, it's a very good one. We uh, we'll be hearing Justin Fields' name in just a minute again, again. but uh, my MVP, my first 2021 MVP goes out to the Lehigh boys, CJ McCollum, the shooting guard for the Portland trailblazers. Like I said earlier, currently leads the league in three pointers made per game, just over five a game. He's averaging 28, six boards, three, or excuse me, six assists, three boards, 
46% from the field, a red hot start to what could very well be CJ McCollum's first all-star season. Very hopeful, very excited for my former basketball coach. CJ McCollum is my first MVP for 2021. Moving down the list, going to go the opposite now from the MVP, the most disappointing player team. And for me, it was the Kansas Jayhawks men's basketball team. They were the three seed in the nation at home against the 10th ranked Texas Longhorns. Not only did they get smacked out of their own building, 84 to 59, not only was it the first time Texas beat Kansas in Kansas in 10 seasons, but Texas led the game the entire way, the entire 40 minutes Texas was beating Kansas. That is disappointing from the number three team in the nation, Kansas, but I get their act together if they want a chance at a winning their division this year, their conference this year. Yeah. Rock chalk Jack, my ass fucking suck. Facts. What do you got? I don't have a player or a team. I have a thing. Uh, Most disappointing. The Mayo Bowl trophy. (laughs) Because to have a name like the Mayo Bowl and then have your trophy break within two minutes of celebration, I'm just so disappointed. You couldn't write a better comedy than that. The fact it wasn't just a jar of mayo is one thing, but then to have it break upon celebration, incredible. Mayo Bowl, please, NCAA, please discontinue that. I don't care how much money you're making off whatever sponsor, whether it's Hellman's or some other third-rate brand of mayonnaise, please discontinue it. We don't need the Mayo Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to wholeheartedly agree on that one. That, that could be an idea next for next season. Moving on, first for 2021, the bad boy. The first bad boy for this year, Alex, we have. Jordan Clarkson, you've been a bad boy. Uh, this one's not as funny. I mean, it's, it kind of is, I guess. Jordan Clarkson's going after a loose ball. Ref was kind of near him. You know, refs, they have to be on the sidelines to monitor play. Ref kind of got in his way. Ref was just minding his own business, and Jordan Clarkson just shoved him. Kids, don't push the refs. Don't like, don't touch the officials unless you like, you just, you don't see them or like, you just accidentally do it. Don't hurt these people or just trying their best to make calls. I know we hate them, but like they're doing their best. And for good reason, he was fined $25,000 for it. I mean, it's, it's like finding me a dollar, I guess, based on <laughs> net worth, but like, just try and be a little better. Jordan, you're, you've gotten good. You you're all tatted up. You're, you're looking you're looking fresh. Don't ruin it by pushing officials. Yeah, I was gonna say I was about to pick him up in fantasy, and I uh, hesitated just because I'm I'm waiting for that one game suspension to come out. But uh, either way, Jordan Clarkson can't be pushing refs. None of that here. My bad boy. Sticking on the term of shooting guards in the NBA, we got Grayson Allen Ooh. of uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. Notorious in college in his career at Duke for stepping on ankles and and kicking people and and really being a very dirty player. Um, and and earlier this week he, he was caught tripping Trey Young. Uh, but if you really did watch the play, it really did more look like an accident than anything. So the reason he's my bad boy this week is really just a forewarning for the league that Grayson Allen is here and uh, he is not very aware of his feet apparently. But uh, watch your ankles, watch watch your your hamstrings when he's on the court. <laughs> very. Very uh, sketchy to have to go up against Grayson Allen, but 
yeah, that's my, that's my bad boy. Uh, you're in the NBA now, man. You're a little more mature. You don't intentionally hurt people, even if it, you know, seems like an accident, even if it's unintentional. Got to be real careful about this kind of stuff. These are these are players' careers you're messing with. Moving on, a few more awards here. I mentioned Justin Fields is going to come back. He is my first uh, return of the king for this new year. Um, I shit on Ohio State. I'm a Michigan and I'm an Iowa fan. I am I am not huge on Ohio State, but respect where respect is due. Justin Fields went absolutely nuts against Clemson, one of the biggest games of his career, you know, 300-plus passing yards, six touchdowns. I mean, those are absurd numbers. So uh, Justin Fields, not only as a resurgence in my mind, but as a resurgence for maybe the number one overall pick in the draft if we've been talking about all episode. So uh, that's my guy. What do you have? I got to go with the Seattle Seahawks, who are a scenario away from potentially locking up a first-round bye in the NFC Really bit of a roller coaster season where we have Russell Wilson MVP lock and then you know kind of fall from grace and their defense is looking good and the offense is producing. But now they're eleven and four, potentially getting a chance to go twelve and four and maybe with a Bears win, which you know, with Jordan Love starting isn't as far fetched as it could be. It'll be interesting. And you know, their defense is kind of starting to click. Maybe they make a run at the postseason. Russell Wilson probably won't be the MVP this year. In fact, I know he won't be the MVP this year, but they made a resurgence. And after a little bit of smack talking them a few weeks prior, they're, they're back. They're back. They're going to make a playoff push. Never count out Russell Wilson. Couldn't agree more. Not a good guy to count out. One more word here to end our uh, beginning 2021 slate. And that would be the moment of the week. Alex, you want to bring us home here with your moment of the week? Yeah, I've started 2021 a pretty toxic note. I'm going to continue with it. Luca crossing up Bam Adebayo had him looking dizzy. That to me is fun Weird. because two young guys going at each other. Luca, who's an all-star. Bam, who's, you know, definitely like an all-star coming into his own type player. And we got to see, you know, future MVP Luka Doncic cross up future bum Bam Adebayo. Future defensive player of the year, <laughs> Bam Adebayo. It's funny. Okay. But, like, that's what I love. Get Robbie a little bit fired up. And, um, yeah, we get to see Luca ball out, which is always fun. Man, he's trying to get me on the edge of my seat, like, two seconds into the new year, guys. Can you believe, can you believe know, this guy? It's like, fun. I love it. I love this oh, new me. I wanted to end on uh, my moment of the week here because I thought it was a really powerful and awesome moment in the world of sports. So, uh, last year, if you were, were watching a San Antonio Spurs game and you saw Greg Popovich get ejected, you would see – former Spurs superstar Tim Duncan stepping in and managing the basketball game. Tim Duncan has since stepped down as an assistant head coach or excuse me, assistant coach for the Spurs. So this past week when Greg Popovich got ejected for, you know, whatever, whatever it was, Becky Hammond, the first woman became the first woman to ever manage a basketball game and coach an NBA basketball game because of that, because of that ejection. In fact, Greg Popovich said he didn't even really realize what was happening when he was walking through the locker room because of all the emotions he was going through. But when he realized that it was one of the coolest things that he had ever uh, gotten to be a part of, Becky Hammond was the first you know, woman hired as an assistant coach in the NBA. And now to see her getting to manage games, coach an NBA game, you know, that just getting to manage a game at a high level at its on its own is really cool. And then to be the first woman to do it is just another reason to shout her out. She has put in so much work 
all the Spurs respect her. If you ever listen to interviews about the Spurs players talking to her, they really hang on the words she says. They really respect her basketball knowledge. And for her to get rewarded by, you know, getting this opportunity and now putting women in the spotlight of being able to successfully coach bas- NBA basketball games is just another stepping stone into more women being a larger part of the NBA, which is always an important part of our league. So we were really happy to see that. And I wanted to end with that one because it was a really cool thing that we got to see in the world of sports. And with that, we are going to bring our first episode of the 2021 new year to an end here. Guys, we're excited 2021's over. We're hoping for, you know, just as, as great of a new year as you guys are. Hoping you're going to choose to spend it with us from time to time. And uh, we will be back all year with all the sports content you could possibly ask for. That's right. Uh, we're really excited to be welcoming in the new year with all of our listeners. I guess as a, you know, quick, quick shout out to ourselves because, you know, we have to brag here. We're in a tournament. Please vote for us on Twitter. It is free and takes all of three seconds to do. And we would like to win. We would like to hoist up this just, it doesn't give us anything, but at the same time, I would just love to put that in my bio or put that in my resume. Yeah. It's great. Great uh, for clout. Yeah. We'll, we'll post about the tournament on our, on our social media feed. You'll be able to vote for us, uh, you know, following the rules of the the guys hosting it, but yeah, it's a cool thing. Look out for us. Uh, You know, give us a vote. We're really excited. We're really excited about this new year. Happy to be here for you guys. Your gym class all-stars. Not going away quite yet. Take care, guys.